A-Team is our next guest. Uh, our A-Team guest has partnered with uh, the World Benchmarking Alliance and uh, they've launched a report that assesses 180 global, globally influential companies on the interventions they are making towards a lower carbon footprint. Now, this report that they have uh, put together also assesses the role that uh, they play when it comes to respecting workers' rights and also the environmental impact to the community. As I said, the backdrop of COP26 is one that we are going to be um, having this conversation around. Let's welcome Nikadeko Chawuke, who's the head of advocacy and outreach at the African Climate Foundation. A thank you very much for joining us and good evening, Nikadeko. Good evening, Patricia, and thank you so much for, for having us on your show. Uh, and we look forward to uh, an interactive conversation. So thanks for having us. Yeah, the A-teamers will definitely join in. Now, as we round off, uh, you know, what was said uh, at uh, COP26, what are some of the key pointers that you, as uh, head of advocacy at the outreach um, at Africa Climate Foundation, took out? What are some of those that you say these are in alignment with what our organization stands for and we are going to be able to implement? Well, what I can say, first of all, Patricia, is that I think we need to recognize that COP26 takes place under very unusual circumstances, uh, particularly with the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, as well as, you know, some of the challenges that this has posed in terms of ensuring that there's robust uh, participation on the part of non-state actors, civil society as well, whom... Um, uh, are very much central to the debate, central to the negotiations. Uh, and I think the concern uh, earlier on and primarily around the COVID-19 restrictions was that, you know, limiting participation on the part of civil uh, society actors would also uh, undermine the legitimacy of, of the negotiations. However, we have seen, uh, I think, positive announcements uh, as well through throughout the, the, the two weeks, and particularly uh, with reference to the announcement of the 8.5 billion uh, pledge in support of South Africa's just transition. And so we've seen world leaders come to the forefront uh, to make a commitment in saying, uh, you know, this is one step to move forward in supporting the just transition process. I also want to emphasize that, you know, a just transition is basically a framework that encompasses a range of social interventions uh, that are needed to protect, promote workers' rights, uh, human rights, uh, deliver on social economic dividends for populations, as well as uh, ensure uh, sustainable livelihoods for communities when economies are shifting away from fossil fuels uh, into sustainable production, uh, into renewable energy sources, uh, primarily in response or, or to combat the climate change crisis while also protecting biodiversity. So, so while 
the COP26 process is demonstrating some positive uh, commitments on the part of developed countries is that a lot of work still needs to be done. And also in the context of the announcement around uh, the 8.5 billion is that, you know, this finance as well uh, encompasses various mechanisms as well, right? So we need to get to a point where we unpack what this entails, where we unpack the allocation of resources, the allocation of finance uh, to, towards concessional finance, towards grants, towards uh, investment in, in projects. So I think there's a lot of work that the Presidential Climate Commission is, is, is spearheading. Uh, and I think it's very encouraging to see an institution such as the PCC uh, working on these issues, but primarily leading a process that is not only just, but is socially inclusive as well. So I think for, for, for us, this gives us a, a good starting point uh, and also, I think, prepares us to start thinking around how we make COP27 a success. A-team, as we are in conversation with Nkateko Chawuke, Head of Advocacy and Outreach at the African Climate Foundation, we are talking uh, an assessment that they have put together, but this one is specifically aimed at lowering carbon footprint. And obviously, Nikateko has given us some insight on some of the pointers that are quite key coming from COP26. I'd love to hear from you. Do you feel that it will be that easy for us as South Africa, especially for our big corporates, to just transition? Just transition. Make it easier for our environment, but also make sure that workers' rights and uh, uh, communities are also not left behind, left suffering because of the adverse effects of the high carbon footprint we're currently emitting. Call in and uh, let me know on 011-714-2006 or you can WhatsApp on 614 Late Night Conversations, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Science, Technology and Environment Conversations. Nikateko, let's talk about uh, the report that you have compiled uh, with the partnership that you went into um, alongside with the World Benchmarking Alliance. What were you looking at specifically, especially industries? So Patricia, I'd, I'd like to respond to that by firstly providing you with a, an international context, right? So we are seeing now uh, what the European Union's plans are around introducing a carbon emissions taxation. So this is what we know as uh, the proposal around a carbon border adjustment mechanism. So this mechanism is put in place as a climate response measure that is expected to discourage the importation of goods produced through carbon intensive manufacturing methods, right? So this means that, uh, you know, an, a, a carbon border adjustment certificate gets issued to a country uh, or importers based on an integrated emissions intensity of that specific product. Now, penalties will be applied on that. And what this means is, is that uh, 
countries that are reliant or economies that are reliant on, on emissions heavy uh, value chains suffer the most. So this we see as the most threatening development for the continent uh, in the sense that Africa in and of itself is the least emissions contributor, right? So why should it suffer the most from pressures emanating from international policy frameworks that are pushing for a net zero uh, target, right? That means that economies need to fast track their decarbonization processes. However, the global north have actually benefited over time from this. Their economies have grown from this. Uh, and therefore, they are, for want of a, of a better word, restricting African economies to grow at the same pace that they did. Now, for us, this, this is a challenge for economic development. This is a challenge for the growth of economies. It's a challenge for how states on the African continent are able to secure those socioeconomic dividends for their economies, for their populations. This has implications, for example, uh, the price of consumer goods. It has implications for even the simplest things, uh, the simplest thing as accessing electricity. We have a very big challenge around energy poverty on the continent. Now, what this uh, World Benchmarking Alliance report looks at is the level of emissions contributions by uh, corporate companies, but also it begins to uh, open us up to interrogating the kind of commitments that uh, companies are making around reducing emissions. While that is well and fair, uh, it's also located within a broader narrative around net zero by 2050. So we know that as African economies, uh, we cannot move at that fast rate in terms of reducing carbon emissions. We know that uh, African, for African economies to survive, they need to maintain at least 20 to 25% uh, transition fuels. Uh, and so within that context is how do we begin to curate a narrative that speaks to the needs of the African continent uh, that moves away from the unfair advantage over African countries that uh, countries in the global north have, uh, and also works towards um, reducing uh, the, the, the huge financial burden on African economies. So as the world convenes around COP26, uh, I guess the important thing for us is how do we truly realize a just and socially inclusive transition on the continent that one looks at enforcing accountability on the level of private actors, private uh, companies, but also does so in a way that does not leave our economies vulnerable, nor pressure us to move towards, uh, uh, you know, the, the global narrative around how we should fast track our, our decarbonization uh, process. Central to our development is questions around 
uh, scaling of renewable energy, uh, also, you know, reducing dependency on fossil fuel, but that must be done at a rate at which our economies can take. Secondly, is a question around how do we scale up wider industrialization on the continent to unlock economic opportunities create jobs, allow people to meaningfully participate in economic activity. So I guess the narrative for us and the challenge is how do we reconcile what our uh, development pathway on the continent is uh, juxtaposed on global pressures to meet net zero targets. So this assessment with the World Benchmarking Alliance looks at the trajectory of uh, corporate companies that are making these commitments in response of their uh, emissions. But how do they do so uh, in a way that promotes economic development on the African continent? So in a nutshell, this is uh, the scope of the study. And it was also uh, developed through an extensive consultation process with various stakeholder uh, actors around clearly identifying what just transition indicators would be that allow for the determination of what uh, socioeconomic benefits could be that responds to jobs, that responds to um, social issues around safety nets, for example, but also addresses wider questions of accountability mechanisms that countries should begin to consider as, as we move forward uh, on our decarbonization trajectory. It's not easy for Africa at all. I mean, we're the new kids on the block emitting the least carbon um, uh, fuels, but uh, we are going to end up, uh, if things are not done correctly, feeling the pinch. And this is obviously going to hamper our economies. Let me go to a a voice note from one of our A-teamers. Good evening, Patricia and the A-teamers and your guest. Um, I just wanted to ask a quick question with regards to uh, corporates and their responsibility within the climate change. Um, I, I'm in a pre-incubating program right now, and my idea is to introduce um, hemp, hempcrete, that's made out of hemp as a sustainable building material and in, in the construction um, sector. Uh, does your guest think that uh, corporates will be open-minded to using this uh, as an alternative as uh, compared to traditional bricks because this building material actually absorbs carbon emissions uh, as compared to the alternative where it uh, uh, releases it out? Um, yeah, that's just my question. Thank you. Great project, I must say, but let's hear from Negadek. Thanks, Patricia. I I, I am in no way an an expert around these issues, but I can tell you that some of the questions that we are grappling with, particularly around calls for wider industrialization on the continent, is, for example, the case um, we are trying to, to assess in terms of if we are reducing uh, fossil fuels, uh, particularly reliance uh, on coal or oil, uh, and looking at supporting wider infrastructural projects. So that means uh, using other mechanisms such as cement, for example, is the also the assessment and understanding of 
the, the, the prospects of how that could also potentially become a heavy emitter as well in the long run. So, so I think corporates have a lot of heavy lifting to do in terms of assessing the kinds of viable economic alternatives that they are exploring vis-a-vis the reduction of um, emissions as well. So I, I, I can say that to that extent, uh, a lot of uh, work needs to be done, particularly for ensuring that the development pathways that we identify and opt for also take into consideration some of the commitments and responsibilities that uh, corporate or private companies uh, have in reducing emissions. As we round off our discussion, I'd like you to just uh, quickly give us uh, your closing uh, remarks, especially emphasizing on industries we need to be looking out for that are part of your assessment and uh, those that are culprits for having a bigger carbon footprint. Thanks. I think uh, the most important thing is recognizing that, you know, there has been a a historical perpetuation of inequity, particularly around how financial resources are allocated in response to the climate change crisis. What we do need to push for and, and, and focus on more especially for the African continent or developing countries more widely is uh, an equal and equitable split in climate finance uh, between adaptation and mitigation needs. And in addition to this is that uh, these historical inequities perpetuated by the structure of climate finance need to be addressed in a way that helps us to begin to understand the quality of finance that goes into these projects. So for the African continent, the biggest, uh, I think, priorities for us is the the climate finance question, uh, how we also ensure that there's adequate resources uh, around uh, mitigation and adaptation, uh, particularly in ensuring that uh, the environment response to some of the climate impacts that we have seen in various regions uh, of the continent, uh, as well as a wider issue around loss and damage. If we can tackle those three elements, I think we begin to then tap into other sectors of the economy that helps African economies cope with the transition process, such as agriculture, for example, which has an immense potential for being an economic uh, contributor or economic driver. So how do we ensure that we open up those spaces to promote market entry for smallholder farmers, for sustainable means of farming to address wider questions around food insecurity that continue to hamstring development on the continent. So I'd say for for us, uh, that is a a primary issue to look at. But then lastly is also how we think around uh, how African economies also unlock public finance in a way that ensures that um, basic rights and services are met while uh, responding to, to, to the climate crisis, but also securing that access that is very important uh, for human rights, that is very important for sustainable la- livelihoods. And lastly, 
that is very important for uh, addressing the infrastructure deficit that we currently see, which could potentially, if investment is uh, plugged into that, could address uh, the social safety nets that African people really need at this point in time. Thank you so very much, Nakadega, for joining us. And uh, I'm hoping that your assessment is going to give us uh, much, much more when it comes uh, to delivery and uh, assisting Africa and the continent. Thank you so much for having me, Patricia. It has been wonderful to be on the show.